You are now listening to the Cinnamon and Sugar Podcast featuring D'Angelo Williams and Gary Barnage. You push play and they'll push the limits. more time here and we are back with another episode of the cinnamon sugar podcast Woo, fellas 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 i hope y'all was able to get all them easter eggs this weekend because i cleaned up on the candy department what about y'all well well here, here's here's the thing tom I, I i i i first of all happy easter to everybody um and i i've been trying to figure this out for the life of me uh gary or maybe you can help me out at what age should you stop looking for Easter eggs? Like you shouldn't participate participate at all in the festivities in terms of you finding the eggs. Is there an age on Easter eggs? The answer is never. The, so, F- what is it? the age is never. That's my answer. I, I feel like you're attacking your daughter because you're getting ready to have a conversation. Let her know she can't look for eggs. <laughs> no, no, I, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm just, I'm just simply asking the question, Gary. What, what's the age? Do you think that you should like? You should technically like. You're too old for that. Like, what is the too old for that age for Easter egg hunting? As it relates to like, ooh, very similar to trick or treating. If there's an age for trick or treating then there has to be an age for Easter egg hunting. What is that age, Gary? And if there's not an age, why? Or if there is, why? When you, when you graduate high school. When you graduate high school. Yeah, when you, so when you actually start to become a, a full adult, and that's when it's time to maybe you start doing it for other people and you helping other people and stuff. You don't have to do it yourself. So, so what you're telling me right now is you're not impressed with the fact that Tom opened his podcast when he cleaned up this Easter. Zero. Right? So you're saying that he should now, now, not I'm, participate. So now when I let me clarify. So I'm not against it if you do an adult only scavenge like uh Easter egg hunt, but if there's kids involved, you don't you you don't you're not involved. Oh no. I'm pushing the kids over. I'm pushing the kids <laughs> out the way. Yeah, so I think uh, I disagree. That's all I ask. I I think there's a certain age, too. I don't know exactly what that age is, uh, but where you shouldn't participate in it. Now, I've never heard of an adult-only Easter egg hunt. I don't know what that means and what that entails, but it sounds sexual. Not going to get into that. Uh, But... What you got, dude? We'll, we'll we'll create one. Don't worry, and it will not be sexual in in nature. So, we'll start that trend. How about that? Uh, so, I I do have a question for y'all, and this, this is for both of y'all because y'all both have kids. I already know how D feels on this. Uh, time, I'd be interested to know how you feel when the kids are, when your kids are doing an Easter egg hunt and they're looking for the eggs. Are you pointing out the eggs? And helping them find them and cheating and trying to give them the answer where the eggs are, or are you making them earn them eggs? What's your thought process on that? I already know D, but D, I still want to hear yours in general. So, time, what is your thought process? If your son and daughter are walking around looking for eggs and they can't find any, are you pointing them out, helping them, or are you letting them learn on their own? Well, for right now, at the age that Brayden's at, I'll point them out. I'll help them out. But once they once they clear that four, I'm gonna say five. Once they start kindergarten, then they're on their own. 
That's that's my take. You, it's unbelievable, man. See, that's 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 what I don't understand, uh, Tom. Now I don't know if if Mama Tom pointed them out for you, and this is just your way of, you know, tipping the hat to her and say, hey, you know, I'm gonna do the same thing for my kid. I totally disagree with what you said. Here's why: when you have multiple kids, even if you don't have multiple kids, they have to learn. And every moment in life, as you grow older is an opportunity for you to teach your kid either this or teach your kid that. You miss out on those opportunities if you just point out those eggs. Because guess what, Tom? You're not going to be there when when little Tom is like, oh, and he got to make these grown-up decisions by himself. I understand that he's young right now. Uh, if he's one, two, three, or four. Hey, he got two eggs this year. Next year, he know he's going to have to fight and claw and scratch to get three or four eggs next year. And before you know it, man, you know, he getting seven, eight, nine, ten. He competing with the best of them because guess what? He had to learn on his own that if I want more eggs, I have to get more eggs. But, you know, in the way you raising your kids, though, man, they just going to look at you and say, Daddy, where is it at? And you're going to point them out. Trust funds. <laughs> uh, I am in the same boat as D. I do not agree with helping. I don't. If they can walk and do it themselves and talk, they can go find them. Because again, it's it's learning a lesson. If they don't find the eggs, hey, why didn't you find any eggs? Oh, were you just following the kids everywhere and you they already got them, or did you go find them yourself and or are you just trying to play and follow them? So I think it's a it's a learning lesson, it's a teaching lesson, and in, in that aspect, and I don't think you should help them. I think they need to learn. Hey, you got to do this on your own. You got to figure. It's a game. It's fun. It's not supposed to be. Oh, come to me and ask where one's at, and then I help you and tell you, because the other kids aren't hopefully aren't doing that either. And I, I think I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it because now you're giving participation trophies. They got to earn that. They got to earn the eggs. I, I, any any rebuttals time? Uh, 100%. No, I, no, you I, guys are pointless. There's no point. No point. Yeah. In <laughs> I, I, I got a better question for you here. And and we just going we just going to touch on it. And then after we touch on it, I got some questions uh that are that I that I want to ask, but this is just a little touch on it. I don't know if this is a jab at you, Gary, or if this is like a true question. I don't really know how it's going to come off, so I'm just going to ask. I see you got the Louisville shirt on. Like, the big news for the last week is that the number one Louisville player in the country, uh, it's a her. She plays on the female basketball team. She's in the transfer portal. My question to you, Gary, from somebody that's not a Louisville fan, that'll never be a Louisville fan, and never feel the pain that you're going through right now, if there's even pain there, my question to you is, is where do you think she's going? And why the hell do you think she's leaving? Because they were a Final Four team this year. This is very similar and eerie to what KD did. If you can't beat him, join him. Or LeBron James, if you can't beat him, join him. So you let me know what's going on because I, I thought Louisville was a place that people go and they succeed and they become winners, but – Obviously, that's not the case. Well, I, I, again, I don't understand what the purpose of leaving. To me, like you said, if you're leaving and then you go join another team that was in it. So there's rumors she could be going to LSU or she could be going to Iowa, the two teams that were in the finals. But why would you not want to come back and, and 
show that you can win it at Louisville because you got them there. You're the leader of the team. What? What? I, I only reason I could guess is because you're getting more money to go elsewhere. That'd be my only yeah, but, guess on why you would leave. Because I don't understand why you would leave other than that. So, so it doesn't make sense. Because I, I, I hadn't watched much female basketball, and I'm not going to assume that you guys have either. But I'm just going to throw this question out here. Have she always been the girl, or was she more like Steph Curry and, like, kind of jumped on the scene? Because let's be honest, Caitlin Clark, she's always been, a, like, a good player. But, like, she hit levels this year that we've never seen before. Like going into this year, we never thought Kaylin Clark would put up the numbers that she put up this year because it was such a historical run. So has she always been the chick or did she, did she just Steph Curry us and just come on the scene this year? So no, she has been always really good. I know the last two years have really catapulted her. I'm pretty sure she's like number three all time in women's scoring in Louisville history. And she only played three years there. She's in the top five. I don't know exactly where, but she's somewhere in there, and she's only played three years. So I would assume she's always been that dog that you'd want on your team. But I know I've really heard about it starting last year and this year for the first year. But, again, I don't I don't watch a lot of women's basketball in general. I don't watch a lot of college basketball or basketball at all in general. So, But, obviously, with Louisville, like, the name comes around, you hear it. So I – Again, I don't know why she's leaving. My guess would be something to do with NIL because you're going to make some money if you go somewhere else and they can pay you more. That would be my reasoning. Other than that, I don't know what other reasoning you would have to leave a Final Four team that just left, unless their whole team was leaving and it's just you coming back. Then maybe I can understand because you're like, oh, we're not going to repeat because we lost everybody else. But I don't know all that. Okay. What, I, I, what, if, what if she's just trying? What if she's just trying to better her education at a different program? Because we've seen the type of people that come out of Louisville. Well, that's impossible. Louisville is one of the. the <laughs> it's like it's like the uh, the Harvard of the of the uh, of Kentucky. Like, oh, yeah. well, I didn't realize. Well, I, I'm uh, before I go into my questions here. I gotta. We're gonna wrap up basketball here real quick because I heard a phenomenal line that I thought I would never hear in college sports. Angel Reese said, why would I leave and go to the WNBA when I'm making more money in college than some of the top performers in the WNBA? I thought I would never hear that across any sport as it relates to amateur sports going into professional sports. She said that she's making more in NIL money than the top basketball players mm-hmm. are making in the WNBA. So why would she go to the league? I'm. I, do you think the NCAA was expecting something like this to happen? Like coaches, players? They did not. And I told you there's going to be players that aren't going to care about making it to the league because they can make more money with NIL. And I, I so said it's going to happen. To me, though, you, but there's more protection, though, in my opinion, in the professional sport than it is in the amateur sport because, okay, so you, you, you're you living off of NIL money, meaning your name, image, and likeness. So it's all predicated when you're playing in college based off of your production, okay? When you're in the National Football League, it's not based off of your production because you have a contract and you have an opportunity every year to play up to that contract. Well, when you're doing NIL money, like that's a year-to-year basis, man. You got to come out and you got to perform year to year. And, you know, not everybody's going to have that Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, 
have those phenomenal seasons where you step up and you're like, ah, you know, what's the point of me going? Do you know she has one more year Caitlin Clark does before she can go to the WNBA before she's eligible? Yeah. Like, why would she even go when she's going to be a, a top recruited? She's going to be on every commercial as it relates to NCAA women's basketball or any women's sports uh, coming up. So why would I jump to the uh, WNBA? But I, I, I'm I'm, going to find it hard, Gary. I'm telling you right now. I can understand the WNBA and the, the as it relates to pay and getting more money and NIL money, but there's no way that a college football player would come out and say, hey, I'll make more money staying here than I would entering the draft and playing on the National Football League team. Because I don't think it I don't think that's actually true. I don't think they could. Well, yeah, that's that's the difference between a women's sport and and men's sports. Like the the NFL is makes so huge. much more money, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's just that's the reason. Well, I now, mean, <laughs> uh, hold on here, hold on now. I'm, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. You got I I'm I'm a sophomore. I'm a junior. I'm making eight nine million dollars right now. My rookie contract, based on maybe my draft status, might say the same thing. So maybe I stay in one more year to to better my draft status because I'm making more money NIL money than I am if I would go based on the round that they say I'm going. Oh no, you definitely may do that, but I don't think you not you won't uh, you won't do it. I, I'm not going to go I, because I'm getting more money in college because you had the opportunity to make more money in the NFL. If you're that type of player, you're going to make that kind of you're going to get forty fifty million dollar contract. You're not getting that in NIL. Yeah, and I, and you got to think. I think you're like overthinking about what these NIL deals are because they're they're just you know, there's not that many athletes that are going to have the ability to have an eight nine million dollar NIL deal. That's just not how it is. So, I, mean, gonna, I disagree. Go, no, if you go look at like the top the top NIL deals, like they put it out all the time. Uh, it, it's like Bronny's number one, and it's not you know like and a that's ton. only because of his dad's name. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, but what I'm saying is there's, there's just, I mean, yeah, that's true, but I'm saying, but it's like, they're not as big as what people are thinking as far as like, they're not like an NFL contract. And I, and we, I don't know the terms. Like, what are the terms? There's no way that that money is guaranteed. Can't be. It is guaranteed because it's not based on performance on the field. It's not based on uh, you being on the life. team. Correct. Because there was a player that was a quarterback who played at Texas, he got an NIL deal, like $3 million or something like that. He lost his starting job. He's like, I'm done with football. They can't take his money because they can't be tied to him being right. a well, Right, but the, the same the same fact of is, and if this is not true, there's got to be barriers for something. It's like part of your fame, it's like anything. If you're going to have a sponsorship or something, if you're no longer valuable to me having you as a sponsor – there's got to be ways I can cut ties with you. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, a certain amount of money I might have to pay you, but there's no way that there's people that are well, have that much money, are that smart with contracts, have made it to where they can't get out of it. So, well, see, the, prob- the problem is, is this is new. And because this is new, the, the, they t- they coming up with all type of contracts that are weird and foreign and different from any other thing you've ever seen because some people are dealing with uh, and, and that's another thing too, Gary. So 
if I'm an amateur athlete, am I allowed an agent now? Because no. now you have a marketing person, not an agent. Oh. So, but to answer your question real quick before you, and then you can go to your questions, D. With with when it comes to like you're talking about the amount of money time that was offered. Again, there was a player who Miami was giving him an eight million. He was getting an eight million dollar NIL deal if he would sign with Miami. He did. Now he screwed himself because he decommitted, committed to Florida because they were they all, they said they were going to give him a thirteen million NIL. Deal. Never played it down. This is high school going into his freshman year. So he committed to Florida. When he got to Florida, the people backed out of the NIL deal. So he decommitted and went to Utah or somewhere like that. And he's not getting – he's getting like $3 million. Like So he lost. He screwed himself because he should have just kept that $8 million and stopped being greedy and at Miami. And he would have got $8 million before he even played one down in college football. That's outrageous to me. That's more than Bronny James is going to get. But this kid screwed himself because he decided I'm, I, I'm worth – 13 now Florida's going to give me 13 he could have stuck with 8 million and he didn't he got greedy and it it backfired on him dang like I couldn't imagine being that young Gary with that type of money bro like in college oh man that's when you really got to protect yourself you got to have people around you that you know you can trust because you're going to get taken advantage a lot in those situations how do you even don't that make you Hey, here's my here's my question. That's that's a big that's a big question right there for sure, D. Like, yeah, how, how do you even how do you focus? Yeah, I guess because like, you I'm, know that like, if you I'm know your your anybody in this college, right? I'm saying if you know your your money's riding on you being able to play, that's the only thing. But I'm saying and this is something I want to ask you. I've been meaning to ask you. You guys, as former like standout college athletes, does any bit of you ever get a little pissed off that this came? Right now, because like it thinks like back, like man, if if I could have gotten this whenever I was in college, like D, I can't imagine what type of what type of uh, nil oh, deals you bro, have. Look, look, I'm gonna tell you something. Man. I wouldn't have got I'm, anything, I'm, but I, I'm not. I I don't get mad about it at all, man. In fact, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm I'm actually kind of happy that it didn't happen to my class when we came out because we were dealing with other stuff. And, you know, every generation is dealing with something different in football or in sports because, you know, different things are happening in the world and and different things are happening within that sport. So with that being said, no, I'm not I'm not uh, upset. I'm actually excited because there's a lot of variables and a lot of things and a lot of kinks that they need to work out in these NIL deals. So with that being said, I don't have to be the one that I'm not that that guinea pig. I'm not the one they trying to work on them kinks out and I'm not the one that everybody have a strong opinion for or against or anything like that. In fact, I'm the one actually giving my opinion on the situations they're going through. So from that aspect, I'm happy I'm sitting on this side. But as it relates to the other side, there's a lot of and people don't understand this. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say it, Tom, because you brought it up. There's a lot of pressure on you when you have that type of money and NIL deal money. And as it relates to, like, there's no way that you could tell me that there's an athlete out there making uh, seven figures, six million, a million, three million, two million, and are killing it in school. Because I'm making way more money if I focus on the sport that I got this NIL deal money uh, related to than I would if I was just 
focusing on my books. And another thing with this NIL deal money and paying amateur athletes, it affect me from a standpoint of like the numbers that we put up when I was in college, uh, the 6,000 yards or the 4,000 yards, the 3,000 yards, the 4,000, like the Reggie Bushes, the, the, the Chris Johnsons, the, the ones that stay, you know, one, two, three years that had really successful college careers. Like, I honestly believe that those are few far between everybody's one and done. I can go to Florida. I can go to Auburn. This is that Cam Newton treatment. I can go to Florida, not do well. I can go to Auburn, sit one year, and then I can play one year of college football, have the most amazing year of my life, go number one, win the Heisman, and the rest is history. Like, how do you, where, where do you find to put guys like that uh, as it relates to guys that have put up like astronomical numbers, because that's what it's going to right now with the NIL and with the transfer portal and with all those things. So with that being said, it's actually doing me a favor and seamen guys, because when you look at the discrepancy, when you look at like back in the days, like, and when I say back in the days, I'm talking about the 2000s, the early 2000s, as it relates to any other years, we put up a lot of numbers. B, Reggie Bush, uh, Lindell White, uh, uh, Lawrence Maroney, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody put up a lot of numbers. So now when they go to the league, they Joseph Adai, they, they put up those same numbers and they're, they're successful because they're able to play for those long stints and show you that I'm good for a long period of time. It's, it's very interesting for those one year players because what do you put them at time? They gave you uh, uh, one year of greatness. How can you put a price tag on that over time? Because it don't always translate that one year over to the NFL. However, I think you're more successful if a person is successful over a college career and then go to the National Football League or go to the NBA or, or go to that professional sport and continue being great or being good and keep extending that, that, that greatness over a period of time. Because it usually means you're proven. You've proven it over multiple years that you're able to do this and withstand the uh, punishment and all that kind of stuff as well and can still contribute at a high level. Yeah, yeah. But my my question, to kind of get a little serious time, uh, my question is this, man, uh, and it's going to kind of spiral and we're going to grow roots from here, but my question is doing a natural disaster, doing a natural disaster, who do you think is ultimately responsible, uh, Gary, and we can start with you. Who do you think is responsible for uh, cleanup, uh, rebuild, and getting everything back on track? Just curious. Like, you think that's a government thing? You think the community should just kind of pull together? You should. You think they should share the responsibility? Like, whatever whatever that natural disaster may be, man, whether it's the flooding, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a, 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 a volcano erupting, like whatever that natural disaster is, a typhoon, after that natural disaster has happened, who's left picking up the pieces, in your opinion? Uh, I think the state should fund it, and I think the state should fund the cleanup and the resources needed to get things uh taken care of and help the, the people. The people should also be willing to help clean up 
around as well. And then if, if it's needed, then the state, that's their job to call on the federal government and the federal government should put money towards it as well. I don't think it should ever come down just to just the community has to do it. I think it definitely has to start at the state level. They ha- 1,000% should do it. If any natural disaster happens, they should step in and put funding towards it. And then if they have to, they ask for the government's uh, a request and that get them to donate money to it and fix the stuff that's going on. Because I think it's all of ours as a – each individual state and as a government overlooking all the states, it's their responsibility to make sure those things get cleaned up. People have this opportunities to get back to a normal life after a natural disaster that was no bearing on their own. So that's why I think okay. it starts at the state and then goes up. And I think the lo- the community around is like a is just comes around to help deal with all the stuff and then helps put from the funding the government's doing and that kind of stuff or the state level. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of right there with Gary in the fact that I think it starts for me. It starts local. Anybody that's affected uh, by uh, whatever the natural disaster happened, you know, you're going to call to those people to be, you know, your first ones on deck. But obviously, depending on how big it was, you know, you're going to have the state coming in, like Gary said, big enough to where you got to call on the federal level. But it's yeah, it's just it's, it starts with the people that are right there and able to help that are affected directly by this um and then you know if you have any like really rich people that are from that area like you know maybe they're not affected maybe you got a rich family that you know maybe they had a kid that went there or something eventually it's like hey you know and maybe they don't live there anymore maybe you reach out to people like that i don't know so so i i would disagree with that assessment because i think now you're trying to force that person's hand I don't think you should ever force it. They, if they're willing to do it, they're going to do it. But when you start forcing it on people, then people have issues with that because now it's expected right. that you're going to. I'm not saying like, right. I'm not saying like make it like a public outcry. I'm just saying like, you know, if I if I if I live in a community where I know, you know, we have a really wealthy family that used to live there, and like all their kids went there or something, or uh, you know, what I'm saying it's like I might reach out and say, hey, you know this happen is there anything you could do like maybe behind the scenes i'm not saying that that's their responsibility but i'm saying as a community if that's if there's somebody that was a part of that community i could see how you'd reach out to them yeah um, but so imagine yeah. that you you were you were that rich person and uh they reached out to you you're gonna feel a certain type of well they're reaching out to me so they expect me to do this Right, so now I, you're gonna feel a sense of like, well, if I don't do this, they're gonna think this of me. Uh, so it f- basically forces their hand because they can choose not to do it, and then everybody's like, oh, well, they're just terrible people. Or you're now you're putting in that situation where they have to do it, and I, I don't right. think that's the right thing to do. I think they're gonna. I think they would most of the time people that dealt with a situation like that, or they're gonna be willing to help. But let them do it on their terms. Don't force that hand on them because now it puts them in an awkward situation because it's a lose-lose no matter what now. What? So why is it a lose-lose? Like what if – because because, because you know now I mean? you're forcing his, their hand. We're like, hey, I'm going to do it this way and then – now it's like, oh, I call, now people are going to start taking credit. Oh, I reached out to them. I got them to do this. And then now they're forced to do it versus doing it the way they wanted to do it. And now you're forcing right. the option versus giving them the option. Everybody has the option to do something whether they want to or not. But now if you do, if you call them and say, oh, I call them, they didn't respond. Now everybody's like, well, they're, they're, they're 
terrible people because they don't want to help. Now you're making them look it's, terrible without them doing their own what they want to do. You're forcing that hand on somebody. Yeah, it's funny that you you lay it like that, Tom, because it's I what I didn't hear is you said maybe a celebrity or a family of a celebrity or whatever, however you phrased it and the way you phrased it. But what about those people that are not celebrities that used to live there that have moved off that may not have the same celebrity status? You don't really know what they got going on, but they could be billionaires and millionaires, but you don't give them the same opportunity because maybe they don't have the same name or the same celebrity. No, no, no. That's why I said, like, if it's just a wealthy family in general. I know I'm saying it's a wealthy family in general. I, I didn't mean, like, just necessarily a celebrity or somebody famous. I'm just saying if you have somebody that was a wealthy family that lived in the, you know, because, like, where I, went, where I went to school at um, in college, you know, there's not really many famous people who came from that area, but there's a ton of, like, old money in that area. And families that have lived in that area for like years upon years. And, you know, say if a family like that had moved away and they had been tied to that community for so long, you know, I, I could definitely see people like that are trying to raise money, reaching out to them saying, hey, you know, this happened to our area. Would you guys be willing to make a donation or something? You so, know? so playing devil's advocate. So imagine they moved away for a reason. Maybe the town didn't like certain people in the family and they moved away. And that's oh, yeah, and, and they don't want to do something. But now that you reached out and they chose not to do something, now you're gonna think, oh, they're terrible people. They don't want to help this community. But you have no idea what caused them to move away. It could be they had issues with people in the town that didn't like them because they were rich or because of this. So they moved away to get away from. Them. Now you're gonna have your negative thought about that person without even well, knowing me, why they moved away. If they moved away because they didn't like the people in the town, they ain't worried about it. They're going to say, fuck them. Fuck what they think about me. No, I know, but, 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 if you, but if it becomes public knowledge, now they got to deal with the public outcry. Oh, these people well, are that's from what, here. Well, that's, that what depends, that's where it depends on if like, if they're a low-profile person, what's the matter? It's, it's a big difference if it's somebody that's like a celebrity or has some sort of platform. That's different than if it's so, just... You know, Joe, Joe Schmo that happens to have five billion dollars, uh, you know. So, so what am I, am I? Am I held to the same standard if I'm a celebrity, but I'm a celebrity that either been canceled or got a lot of negativity and stigma attached to me? Because you don't even reach out then, even though you know they got the money. Even though you know you got the money, they got the money. You know that they could potentially help. You don't reach out because of the negative connotation that comes with that person so why in the event of a natural disaster does that now stop you from getting those funds that could potentially help based off of something that they could have did or couldn't have did or the potential of them doing that yeah i mean i i don't i to me i think it's just one of those things it's one of those situations in life where you know, as much as being a, a celebrity or being a high-profile person is a blessing, uh, it's also a curse. And that's one of those unfortunate situations where based on your status, uh, it's going to be a curse. Because now you're going to be looked at under a microscope based on your decision to do this or that. And that's just unfortunate. But that's one of the things that comes along with being a high-profile person. I would say yes and no, because sometimes people don't 
they don't want to be a celebrity and they make it known, hey, I don't I'm I'm only paid to do these things, but I don't want the celebrity life. But because of what my job is, it people just put me in that category or put that person in that category when they don't want to be like that. Like, so there's, there's multiple football players that they don't care about anything in the limelight. They just wanted to play football and get paid for it. That's all they care about. But now they're considered role models, celebrities, all that kind of stuff for that aspect. They're like, well, there's actors and actresses that, that want nothing to do with the limelight. They don't want to be in the public eye. They want to live there, just be a normal person, but they're really good at acting. Why do they, are they forced to have to deal with that when that's just their job? We don't do that with, we don't do that with other jobs just because it happens to be something that's on TV. Now you're forced into the limelight. Even if you choose, you don't want it. You're still forced to do it. That's the problem I have again with all the celebrity aspect is people don't really have a choice and that you take that away from them and it takes who they want to be because people can't be themselves now and then that's where people have issues people deal with that stuff because they can't truly be their self because they had to put on a certain persona because that's what everybody thinks because of their job whether they want it or not yes it's like you said it's a, it's a blessing and a curse but like for them it's just a complete curse it's not even a blessing I, i'm just doing my job and people are how i literally want to live a pirate life but no, people won't let me I think that's that's the negative thing. Like, if people want to live a private life and they make it known, people should leave them alone. It shouldn't matter what their job is. I I, I agree. So back to just the natural disaster because yeah. I wanna I wanna make sure we finish this conversation. So in the event of a natural disaster, do you, Gary or Ty, do you think that local businesses should donate? their product and their their stuff or do you think that they should roll on business as usual and continue charging the patrons like should walmart should they just convert it to everything to where they either discount it or give it free or should they shut it down what do you think your thoughts are in terms of retailers in that community do you think they should just you know give product or do you think they should operate kind of business as usual and still could sell it still consider selling their product at normal price so in a case of a natural disaster i would think like a walmart or target you would donate the stuff like tarps or things like or a generator to help power something for food and stuff like that and you're only gonna you're you would donate the essentials but then you might donate pallets of water. But then you're still going to have your other stuff that you're still selling. I don't think you make everything free or you donate everything or you discount everything. You just donate the essentials of what's needed for that cleanup and all that kind of stuff. And people need at that time. You donate that. And then you can leave everything as nor- else as normal because the people will still make come get it. But if you donate some, you're going to get so much more goodwill from the community. They're going to show so much more support to your business, especially if you're not a big business. If you're like, like a smaller business and you're donating a product or whatever it is that needs to be done to help resolve in your time, you're going to, you're going to see so much return when it comes back because people are going to be like, these people actually truly care about us. It's not about just money. They actually want to help us. They love the community. So we're going to support them more. I think that that really plays a big part in, in in a community, especially if it's a small community. I think that would play a big part in it. Now, like I know of me and you had conversations about other stuff, but I'm sure you're going to get to it. I'll wait for that in case you have yeah. some questions. Well, what you got, to Ty? me, 
to me, it feels like it depends on what the natural disaster was and like how severe it was. Um, obviously, if there's any type of damage and you're somewhere like Walmart, um, it's just positive EV for you. Sorry, using gambling terms, but it's just positive, like, you know, for you to donate because you get good press about it. You can, like, write it off as charity. There's just so many reasons that you should donate that benefit you anyways. So go ahead. So it's not as big a deal, I feel like. But as far as, like, the extent of what you donate, I think that depends on, like, what happened. So, like, did a, did a whole town get wiped out to where now you have people that don't even have houses? Was it, like, one individual building inside of a community? What, like, what was it? Uh, you know, what happened? And but but to me, it just in those situations, it just and you're a big corporation, a global corporation like that, a natural disaster strikes your community. It just seems like it's just obvious business to help out the community because that community is the one who's supporting your store day in, day out, week in, week out. Why would you not? It just makes business sense to help out. Okay, that's what I got. Okay. Got any more questions on this? I know you. I I I do, but I I, I know we want to keep this kind of tight today. Uh, so ask so, one more, and then anything else we can say for for next week. Okay, as, as as it relates to like natural disasters, right? So how? What's the criteria like? So we're picking up the pieces. It's a natural disaster. It just happened. Like how long, how long before it's business as usual? Like, I mean, I know it's going to take like forever. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of things because the infrastructure just literally just collapsed. So we obviously got to get an infrastructure back. We got to get some type of schedule back. We understand that we got to get that back. But, but my question is, 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 Let's just say it take a year, year and a half. Like you, you get hit with a natural disaster. Let's let's use Florida for example. Florida would be a great example of natural disasters and hurricanes. And hurricanes. Yeah. So it's hurricane season in Florida. I've always I've always wondered this, Gary, and I'm gonna ask you this question so I can get back to my natural disasters. I've always asked myself, how can somebody live in a place? What natural desi- natural disasters are so prevalent? Florida, as it relates to hurricanes. Uh, some countries, as it relates to tsunamis. Uh, you know, earthquakes, the California. As it relates to tornadoes. Earthquakes in I would California. I say Democrats in yeah. California. Oh, sorry. Uh, he said Democrats in California. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you see what I'm saying? I've, I've always wondered why uh you know a person would live in an area where natural disasters happen like every year and you got to rely on luck skill and and timing in order for you to continue to live your life unaffected so i've always wondered gary why would a person want to live in such a i mean I, i can understand that it's beautiful living next to the ocean i can understand that it's beautiful you know living on the beach uh, but it's also beautiful not to be in the middle of a natural disaster, too. So my question to you is, and, and, and maybe time you can chime in on this as well, like what what keeps you there? I understand that you have roots there and you have stuff like that, 
but there's also a lot of pain there. There's also a lot of I I I I I'm just curious. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to the hurricanes in Florida, that's why I would never live near the coast. Like I live far enough okay. inland that I'm not going to be affected by like the flooding of the water and stuff like that, and the the major damage right along where I'm at. I might have some trees knocked down and stuff, but I'm not going to have anything that's going to affect my house. I may have like shingles and stuff like that, but nothing that's like going to fall on my house because I live far enough inland. Even if the eye goes over, it's just going to be a ton of water and things thrown, but it's not going to be like anything that's like, I'm not going to have cars picked up and thrown on my house because it's right next to all these other cars. Like, so it's different where I live. I'm far enough inland. I avoid a lot of that stuff. Uh, so, and that's part of reason why we live where we live. Like I wouldn't want to live near the water. That's why I, I would not want to be near the ocean because I wouldn't want to mess with that. Like it ain't worth it. But when it comes to like natural disasters in general, basically everywhere in the U S deals with things. Tornadoes can happen literally anywhere in the U S. So you never, you're always in that. It happens everywhere. And the North, they had to deal with blizzards and snowstorms, which can knock out right. power for weeks on right. time yeah. and that's a natural like so everywhere you are there's a chance for a natural disaster now it's less likelihood for certain ones like you're not going to really get hit by a hurricane as strong in the carolinas you might not get as right. many tornadoes you may get tornadoes but they're not going to be as often or as powerful right. as they would be in the midwest like oklahoma right. and all that kind of stuff but tornado alley as they call it like it wouldn't be as strong as those type of storms and just like in, in Texas, you get snowstorms, you have tornadoes, you also have heat waves and all that stuff as well. So like everywhere has things and it's just like, where are you comfortable? What's the less likelihood? So like, I would say Kentucky-ish, Carolinas, even Virginia, and those areas usually are pretty good for not having as many natural disasters. Even Georgia, Georgia will get a couple tornadoes, but they don't really have multiple things they might get a hurricane but by the time it gets to georgia it's very it's very it's a lot less because it's more of a tropical depression by that point because it had to go over enough land so like you know i don't know I, I don't really have a real reason for why people live in this but i think it's because people know it can be anywhere you might as well enjoy where you live uh because you can't think oh i'm gonna live here because i have to avoid a natural disaster you can't live your life in fear and i think that's why people still they want that joy of being on the ocean, seeing the beauty and everything. And they'll worry about that stuff if that time comes. But you can't live the life in fear, oh, this is going to happen to me. Like if you move to California, you can't worry, oh, the big earthquake's going to happen. That's all you're thinking about because now that's going to affect your life forever. What about you, Tom? Because I can, I can tell you this, Gary, and I can tell you this right now. I, I will never, and I don't give a damn what you say, or what anybody else say, Tom, I, I will die on top of this hill. And I'm serious. I have no idea why people live in Alaska. No clue. No. Oh, I wouldn't want to live. I would love to visit, though. I, it blows my mind. I'm like, yo, like, I I like, I like, understand what you said, Gary, your whole everything. Don't live in fear or nothing like that. But Alaska, bro, like, come on now. Right. <laughs> Right, yeah, like it's just like why subject yourself to that all the time, in and out, just like snap. But you know, I, I, I don't live in Alaska, but apparently there are some like good times up there. For uh, understand, I don't hey, know. You get a monthly stipend living in Alaska. 
Hey, that, what? Hey, that's right there. That's right up y'all's alley, y'all cheap asses. I want to hear Time's opinion first. I want to hear. I want to hear Time's opinion first. And he, he, said, he said, wait a minute, you get a stipend? He started Googling homes in Alaska right now. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for me, for me, as far as like living in an area like that, yeah, just I think it depends on maybe if you've grown up and you're just so accustomed to it that it's just like, you know, because where places have hurricanes. One of the big things that people that are from those areas love to do is have hurricane parties, whatever, like hurricanes are coming. You know, it's just, it's so, it's so fun. It's like strange. You ain't never heard of a hurricane? Oh, yeah. I've never heard of a hurricane party, and I've lived in Florida most of my life. You ain't a real, you ain't a real Floridian. Or, well, you're not really a partier. You probably don't get invited. You don't get invited because nobody wants to. Well, I'm not going to a hurricane party and risking something happening to me dying with all these people. I'm just, that's just dumb. So, yeah, it's. To me, I think part of it might be you're just kind of accustomed to it. And once you, like, enjoy the area that you're at, you know, it's you have to – it's like any time you move somewhere. You have to measure, like, what kind of uh, enjoyment do I get out of living here versus necessity of living here, like, for work or something, versus, uh, you know, the bad stuff. When you weigh it all out, I'm sure there are people that just enjoy the areas that they're in enough to where it's like, hey – I'll put up with hurricane season, tornado season, type, you know, whatever season, typhoon season, just because they enjoy it so much. Uh, but to me, like you said about Alaska, but I don't enjoy the cold. I don't enjoy snow uh, all the time. I enjoy snow once it, once a, once a year. But maybe that's the product of growing up in North Carolina, where we only get snow once or twice a year. But if I grew up in, you know, Colorado or, uh, you know, one of these states where we get snow all the time, maybe I miss snow because I'm used to having snow. And so I like snow. Uh, so I don't know. I think I think that's See, a big part. Is I love snow and I never had snow until I went to Cleveland and Louisville. So yeah. and I don't I don't mind. I'm, snow. I'm, I'm telling so you, would you right move, now, would you bro. move back to would you move back to Cleveland or somewhere where it snows all the time here? I wouldn't move to Cleveland, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a problem having a place in like North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, or something. Well, Where I you live? You right now? Well, I wouldn't live there full time. It'd be somewhere I'd want to go. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about full time living. Would you want to live there? Because, but or or not? Uh, I wouldn't know, but it's not about the weather. It's not the <laughs> weather why I wouldn't want to live there. Oh, okay. What were you about to say, D? I I forgot. I was, I was. <laughs> he was going to wrap us up. I, I was going to wrap us up. Thank y'all for listening to the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast. We out. We out. You are now listening to the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast featuring D'Angelo Williams and Gary Barnage. You are now listening to the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast featuring D'Angelo Williams and Gary Barnage. You are now listening to 